It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 215, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. This week, meeting photos. Is the future finally here? All the tech that works. Hey, Gary. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. How are you doing? All right. The rain has finally slowed down a little bit. Our backyard is still a mud pit, but the dogs like it. So, you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah. Um, All about the dogs. Why, of course. For both of of us. (laughs) We should, yes. Listeners should know that by now. It's all about the dogs. Um, So one of the things we forgot to mention last week uh, was that while you were wearing your Apple Vision Pro, and I forgot to ask, actually, are you wearing it now? I'm not wearing it now. No, I just erred on the side of, uh, you know, ability. Just yes. yeah, and and it's not. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I'm not using my screen for very much. So, right. um, yeah. Um. Anyway, so one of the things we did last week was I grabbed a screenshot while Gary had his camera on, and I put camera in quotes, of course, because. The Vision Pro does weird things to create a photo of your face that actually moves um, and presumably it's, you know, blinking as you're blinking and that kind of stuff. But of course, it doesn't have a picture of your entire head. Um, How did it create that picture of your head? Is it like using a photo that you provided at some point or? No. So, of course, there are cameras on the front of the Vision Pro uh, that's usually used to show you what's around you. When you first set it up, you take the Vision Pro and it instructs you <clears throat> to take off the Vision Pro to oh. build this uh, persona. And you take it off and you hold it facing towards you. And the screen that usually shows your eyes to oh. somebody else uh, now shows you information. It's actually used as a screen and it tells you to basically hold it uh, in front of your face. And I think you uh, you like look up, look down, uh, smile, raise your eyebrows. Just a couple of things. It's very quick, actually, right. uh, compared to other kind of face scanning things I've done, which take a long time. Right. Um, it's it's pretty quick, and it's neat to see the screen being used for something else besides just showing like shadowy eyes. <laughs> right. And then it right. tells you, and it tells you you're done, and uh-huh. and that and to put the Vision Pro back on, and then it um and you can go and redo it. Uh, if you're not happy with the results, like some people are finding that, oh, the shirt or the necklace I'm wearing <laughs> is now me forever. So let me go <laughs> instead. I'm going to go and, uh, you know, brush my hair, uh, put on a nicer shirt, uh, maybe remove jewelry that I don't wear every day right. and, you know, make something a little bit more, you know, more neutral, um, for that, uh, that 3d model it built. It's interesting because, um, you know, obviously, if you're especially like when you're in a Zoom call, mm-hmm. we don't have our cameras turned on just because it's a waste of bandwidth for what we're yeah. doing here. But uh, for Zoom meetings or for other online meetings where you actually need to have a camera on, you expect it to actually be visible. Um, mm-hmm. The headset kind of you know gives you a problem. It's not like you're going to get a a close up of two eyeballs staring at you through the screen. So mm-hmm. they've actually used this what Gary just described to create a a, a virtual. A virtual floating head, I guess. I mean, it's it is floating. Um, I mm. noticed that it does kind of fade. There's a circle and kind of sort of fades into a background of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the term that came to me right away when I saw it the very first time was, uh, of course, uncanny valley. Oh yeah, it, much. it it's weird. Uh, I've seen it described, and actually, you know, the show notes will link to the Wikipedia article on the topic. But the concept is that um, as humans. We are very tolerant of human-like things that don't look human, like, mm-hmm. you know, cartoons and that kind of stuff. And, of course, we're very tolerant of human things that really do look human, like, you know, you and I in normal life. Mm-hmm. But there's this valley where things aren't really human, but they're not quite human. I mean, they're just not quite human enough. They're close, but not quite. And yeah. that's what people refer to as the uncanny valley. And it just makes everybody a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> It's yeah. something that, um, um, you know, it's one of those things, you know it when you see it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, so I don't like it. Um, there's actually two features that are kind of related. One is this uh, persona, uh, which I definitely think is in the uncanny valley. It just, I cringe when I see myself like this. I'm like, oh, I don't want anybody looking at, you know, that. 
Um, I cringe when I see other people. <laughs> there, there's you know YouTubers make videos right. and are like showing this is what I look like. Um, and the other uh, item is eyesight, which is you know seeing your eyes uh, in the the screen, and that only shows up when it detects there's somebody there you're talking to. So like if I'm sitting in my office for you know two hours wearing it, um, right. it's not using that screen. It's smart enough to know like don't waste the energy, don't bother. Good. Yep. And then when, oh, there's another person, there's a voice, the person's, you know, I recognize there's a face there, then it will show my eyes to that person. And it will actually show the other person to me, even if I've got a full environment turned on. So I right. could be looking at Joshua Tree, and then the other person kind of fades in like a ghost, <laughs> and I could see where they are. Uh, or if I'm not using that at all, of course, I just see them normally uh, right. through the, uh, you know, the cameras. Um, I don't, the eyes also look a little uncanny valley. Uh, I, I can't experience my own eyes. I guess I could, if I set things up right and did some mm -hmm. work, but the, uh, you know, my wife has told me that, yeah, it's, you know, she can tell they're my, supposed to be my eyes, but they're not my eyes. You know, they're, it's a little weird and it doesn't, she said, you know, it doesn't like freak her out or anything like that. It looks okay. It looks okay. And now Apple has said over and over again, talked about how important these two features are. And when you hear people from Apple talking about it, you kind of buy into it for just the period while they're talking about it. Like they talk about like, it's important when you're, you know, you should be able to use these to do like FaceTime and Zoom and all of that. And I agree. It's like, hey, this is a great device for those. And I've, you know, being able to see other people and presentations in it is fantastic. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea being that, oh, you're in a, in a meeting and now they can see you too, but it's this version of you. I, you know, I don't quite buy it. I like, they say, Oh, it's important. You, we've got to maintain that. We don't want to turn the world into a bunch of like little microphone icons with names under them. Right. We want people to be able to see each other. And then also with the eyes, it's important if you're in a work environment, say, and somebody comes up while you're working with vision pro and you turn to them just to converse with them for a minute about something that right. they feel like they're talking to you. Right. Uh, it, and I, you know, when Apple talks about it, I buy into it. I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. Oh, I get what Apple's doing here. But in practice, I, I don't think it works like that. Like, I'll, I'll probably be wrong. They're probably right. They have tons of really smart people. I'm sure pe tons of people with full PhDs in psychology that have weighed in on this on the Apple side. But I feel on the one hand that it's perfectly okay to attend most meetings without seeing people seeing you like if for instance a ton of zoom meetings are classrooms right mm -hmm. and uh having you know you're in a in a course or something like that you know having there's no reason to have you nobody wants to see you you, you want to see the instructor right <laughs> um the same thing with a lot of meetings yeah there's the speaker yeah there may be a couple key people in the meeting but probably most meetings have a lot of people that it, it they're attending Right, they're attending. It's great to be, for them to be able to speak up or add to the chat, but uh, nobody needs to see them all the time, you know. And I, so I think it's okay to not be seen uh, a lot of times in meetings. Um, and those times when it isn't okay, when you should be on camera, then I think you really should be on camera. You know, it shouldn't be this halfway measure. I mean, if you're right. the instructor of a course. And people are going to be looking at you for an entire 45 minutes while you're presenting. Right. Then be on camera. Don't be in this, right? right. Don't be a uh, persona. And the same thing, if you're like running a meeting, be the, you know, and you probably, if you're good at running meetings, you may or may not be, but if you're good at running meetings, you probably do want to command the room as it were, the virtual right. room yep. Yep, um, yep. and show a full range of emotions and gestures and, and all of that. Um, and then the eyesight thing too, it's like, we've been walking around perfectly fine with dark sunglasses and mirrored sunglasses for decades now. Uh, <laughs> nobody's freaked out when you don't see their eyes. It, it, it's, I think it's fine. I, it's you know, interesting. It's... Um, we, uh, the, I have regular Zoom meetings associated with one of the nonprofits that I volunteer with. Mm -hmm. And um, since we're spread out over a wide area, it turns out to be a great way to actually have the meeting. And yes, it's, you know, rarely, um, actually rarely does anybody turn their camera on for the larger meetings. Um, yeah. Just because that's not the point. What actually is the point for us are things like screen sharing. 
right? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, we're not doing for our podcast, but it's a perfect use of the technology in a lot of other cases. But as a result, uh, I do something that from, from what I can tell, none of the other members do. I make sure to have a good profile picture. Yeah. A profile picture that actually, like, is is somewhat humorous. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on the situations, but um, you know, somewhat humorous. It's clearly it's clearly me, so to speak. Um, uh, you know, I've used corgis as profile pictures. I've used other things as profile pictures, um, and that is one way to quote unquote set yourself apart in those situations, rather than being just a name or, as you said, a microphone or something like that. Um, I, I agree, and mm -hmm. I, I love your current the one you're using right now. Um, and it's clear it, if there was, if I was at a meeting with 30 people and you had just switched to this one that you're using, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have to look for your name. I'd immediately know, even though it's not a picture of you, that that's Leo. And I will uh, make sure to include a copy of this yeah. in our show notes so and that people know what the heck we're talking about. It's a great example. And you know what? I think zoom in particular may want to spend some marketing bucks on this. Because I, when I go into Zoom meetings and it's a bunch of icons and, or pictures of weird stuff and the, or names, it's like it really makes the whole thing. It's like it's like looking at using the greatest you know video player and watching a crappy video, or using the you know greatest word processor and reading some text. It's just horrible. It's the same thing. It's like the Zoom meeting is horrible because of a lot of elements like this. That doesn't matter how good the software is. So right. I'm surprised that you don't encourage people more to be like, hey. Here, pick from some avatars. Does that like Apple does it? Apple knows. Apple went and created these memojis, right? And right. they use use them for a variety of different things. But the idea being encouraging people to create a fun version. Of, if you don't want to show your picture, that's fine. Create yep. a fun version of yourself right here. And uh, I think Zoom should do the same. And I I think everybody should actually, if you're in meetings. Uh, and I, I'm guilty of this. I told I don't go to that many meetings, but you can see right now it's just the Mac Mose logo. That's my icon. Right. Right. So I, I'm guilty of this. I really this is something I need to correct. I need to create a good, fun graphic, maybe or maybe just a picture of me doing something I love, like backpacking or something it's like all that. All sorts of options. Yep. In my case, the one that's currently shown was generated with AI. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's lots of options. I will say that there was one scenario. Uh, recently, where everybody was required to turn on their cameras for a meeting yeah. of like about 20 or 30 people. And that was the jury duty I mentioned a few weeks ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. Where um, during jury selection, the judge insisted that everybody have their camera on. And I can see that also happening in a classroom situation because yeah. teachers and judges need to be able to tell that you're actually physically there. Right. Which is right now, um, you know, if if you're just listening in on a meeting and you don't have a picture of yourself, you're not, you don't have a camera turned on, there's no way to tell if you're actually there or not. Um, so that's about the only scenario, but it does make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, they do yeah. do that for classes, especially for younger students. Right. So college, right. I think it's probably I, I can imagine a college professor saying, hey, if I'm spending my time in this class, I want to see everybody for smaller classes and such. Uh, but a lot of college classes are like, hey, you're paying for this, whatever you want to do, you know, if you don't want to <laughs> yes. be on camera, if you just want to be out of the room and record it and then listen to it later, it, it's your money, right? That um, actually was one of the culture shocks when I first went to uh, to the university after high school, because when we were in high school, attendance was yeah. absolutely mandatory. Yeah. And in in college, it was like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want to do, you know, it's like, so I, and I know that, you know, at probably at the high school level, it's kind of... Uh, in the middle, but lower grades, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, especially during the pandemic, when uh, there had to be virtual learning, a lot of the uh, classes would just require the students to actually be on camera um, because, yeah, it was kind of the teacher's responsibility to make sure that they were paying attention. So one of the things that I did last week, since we had so much to talk about on your side of the coin, yeah, um, is I started to feel kind of sort of guilty because Microsoft and, and Windows World doesn't necessarily have you know, all of these new announcements that Apple is so good at at hyping and promoting and and releasing and you know I mean two three four times a year there's something big from Apple, and that's just not the case for Microsoft. So I decided to see what Microsoft had to say about it. Yeah. Specifically, I asked 
Microsoft Copilot. What's new <laughs> and exciting in the world of Windows and PCs in general? And did it say Copilot? Um, and actually, I don't think it did. No, <laughs> it didn't. Because I, I thought that's what referential. Yeah, that's what you said. I could have sworn that's what <laughs> what you were um, about to say was Microsoft Copilot is the big no, thing. <laughs> no, what I thought was interesting though, it, it talked about a lot of, of honestly boring stuff that was is really general general knowledge already. But the thing that I thought was kind of interesting was that it did mention Windows twelve, which is nothing more than a rumor. Um, mm. And yet, um, it's the closest thing I've gotten to Microsoft actually saying something about Windows yeah. 12 is that Microsoft's own co-pilot said something about Windows 12. Um, I, it's, it's interesting. Uh, currently, I mean, it shows up now, especially in almost every discussion about upcoming Windows releases. And there's a uh, Windows 11 is on a yearly schedule. I'll do Windows 24 H2 which is the second half of 2024 release has been um, getting discussed quite a bit. And the, um, uh, you know, of course, parallel conversation says, well, okay, then there's not going to be a, a Windows 12 this year, which honestly is not really a good, uh, a good assumption to make simply because um, Windows 10 continued to have major releases after Windows 11 had been released. So it's confusing, of course. The one thing that um, I have heard about Windows 12 is that it's going to revamp the user interface, which honestly, I suspect is going to cause way more anger and angst than anything else. Because every time we've changed the user interface, even slightly, um, you know, users, average users, um, just have a really hard time adjusting to whatever it is. And that happened just with the changes between Windows 10 and Windows 11. So I'm hoping that those rumors are wrong. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting that uh, that Copilot mentioned it. What I also yeah. found interesting, mm -hmm. um, I, I was going to start this off by saying we have an owl in the backyard. It's a really superb owl. Yeah. Uh -huh. But um, uh, during the uh, the game yesterday, yesterday? No, day before. Yeah. The one that, uh, yeah, I watched it. Taylor Swift won. I was so happy. <laughs> I don't know much about football, so. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, she, uh, she, <laughs> you've got me going down that one. Yeah. Um, Microsoft actually ran an ad during the game mm. for Copilot. Now, what's interesting about it, the reason that the article I've linked to, Microsoft's Copilot Super Bowl ad signals an AI strategy shift is that so far we have mostly been expecting um, AI to augment search engines, give us search results or that kind of stuff. And it's always been portrayed in information gathering kind of scenarios. But the advertisement, which um, is probably, I'm sure it's it's gotta be on YouTube. I'll see if I can't look it up and, and link to it. Mm -hmm. But the ad is really all about getting things done, doing things as opposed to searching for things. And it's, it's an interesting paradigm shift. I think it's a necessary one for, um, for what the real potential of AI is going to be. Um, but I just found it interesting, A, that Microsoft was actually willing to spend that money to advertise this thing um, that is both very exciting, very worrisome, and has no shortage of controversy associated with it. So mm -hmm. anyway, that's, um, you know, that's, that's what's happening in the world of Windows these days is uh, Copilot is, is infiltrating uh, apparently everything. I mean, now, right now with Windows 11, Copilot just sort of shows up unless you turn it off, which is kind of interesting. Um, it still tends to act more like a search engine than anything else, but they claim to be integrating it into uh, more of Windows operations. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> that, and you know, Google switching to, uh, what do they call it, Gemini now? Gemini, yes. Bard and, uh, and then Apple showing some real I mean, there's some real evidence out there now that Apple has some AI plans going on, like that um, that uh, image editor that is a, is basically a text-based image editor. Mm -hmm. um, where and it's a real thing. You can go and look at the open source version of it that Apple has, you know, submitted back to MIT uh, through their work. And so you just you type what you want to change. So instead mm -hmm. of saying, "Oh, cut cut this person out and make the you know the 
tree greener or something, or, you know, doing that, you actually say that, you type that. And then uh, apparently it makes those changes. Um, so Apple's got some real stuff going on too. And yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Everything is moving along just as kind of like we thought, like there hasn't been any big stumble after we first, it's been about what, a year and three, four months The since only real we stumble talked about I this. would the only real stumble I would say right now is the the news from a couple of weeks ago. Again, we talked about it, I'm sure, uh, you know, of the Taylor Swift fakes uh, getting distributed out Yeah, but on. that's not a stumble. We, we even predicted that. I mean, Well, I everybody suppose. predicted Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. That's that's So, true. so But everything's, in terms of, yeah. yeah, everything's just kind of happening at the rate, like it didn't like fizzle out. Like a lot of times you had get technology things that are, it's a big trend. And then everybody makes predictions of what the world's going to be like. Um, and then that trend just doesn't pan out. And, oh, okay. Remember when we all talked about this, you know, and remember when we all talked about RSS was going to be everything. You know, Yeah, and I then just it's wrote like, about well, RSS that the other is day. is still here, but, but you know, it's like it didn't turn into something. Most people still don't know what that is, right? Um, but so far, AI from the initial, you know, end of twenty twenty two kind of introduction of Chat GPT, um, people made a lot of predictions, including you and I, about like where we're going. And so far, we seem to definitely be going down that road, like. We're, you know, things have improved, things are being integrated, stuff is happening, people are adopting it. People, I had, I will bring it up in conversation and stop myself almost thinking that, oh, they have no idea what I'm talking about, um, you know, about large language models and chat GPT. And they actually do know what I'm talking about. Right. They've been using it, right? And it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is a, this is not a, like a niche tech thing. This really is affecting everybody. Um So yeah, the uh, you, you, you know talk about the Super Bowl. There was another story Mm hmm that was interesting. Um, so the the Super Bowl halftime show, you know, it was a whole bunch of uh, you know, talented performers uh, together, and one of them was Alicia Keys, and uh, you know she was one of many. They all do you know just basically just they start off like one of their songs and then it blends into another song and then before you know it they're gone and there's another artist out there doing something um when she started singing her voice cracked for a second it happens right especially you gotta you gotta think like under those conditions Right. you know where you know you're coming out in the middle of a game it's outdoors it's uh, yeah a dry climate everything you know uh so so she came out and her voice cracked for a second it, not the sort of thing most people would even have noticed but People that like Alicia Keys or were paying very close attention did notice. However, if you went back immediately after the game and decided to look at the Super Bowl halftime show on YouTube, the official one, um, her voice doesn't crack. And Interesting. yeah, so and I think it was just kind of edited so that part isn't there or it cuts away a Sure. little earlier. Um, yeah. On the fly, not like a, you know, this happened three months ago when they finally released the video, but pretty much immediately they released the video and they, somebody made a decision really quickly to just fix that, <laughs> um, which is interesting because now we've got, uh, you know, the, the Super Bowl halftime show of record for anywhere you could find it doesn't have her voice cracking. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. It's certainly, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I mean, it's just a musical performance. It's fine. Any, anybody that's ever listened to a recorded, you know, live performance, whether it's something from today or it might've been something recorded in analog in the seventies, it goes through a production process, right? Absolutely, And they yeah. fix things and all that. So, uh, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is interesting in that a lot of people remember her voice cracking and then go back and then their memory is wrong or seems to be wrong, which really got me thinking about like the, uh, you know, Mandela effect, because it Mm hmm feels very much like a Mandela effect thing. I've definitely seen movies where there's been some little bit that when I've seen the movie a second time, uh, is not there. And I'm like, I could have sworn there was this line or I could have sworn there was this scene. And then of course there, you know, there's the, the rental and then the, and the for sale version and, you know, the cable version and in the old days, there was the videotape version. I mean, they're slightly different edits and they make slightly different changes for various reasons. And, um, Yeah, but it really make plays with your mind and you end up frantically searching online for anybody else that's mentioned, hey, do you remember in this movie when somebody said this, why isn't it 
why can't we find that anymore? Like, wasn't that in the original movie? And I think this really adds to the Mandela effect. Uh, obviously, there are things that are true Mandela effects, uh, like you know Nelson Mandela uh, dying in prison, um, right. or Sinbad uh, starring in a uh, Aladdin movie, right. um, that kind of thing. That it's like, no, that does never happen. It's never that not there. But um, but then I think having these little things where you're kind of tricked uh, because there was a change made quietly uh adds to that adds to that feeling of of it's it's weird because by definition the mandela effect is imagining something that didn't happen yeah and now you're feeling like you're imagining something that did i mean it's it's yeah it's something other than the mandela effect except it has so many similarities to it well because it feels exactly the same your yeah. your memory does not match what you can now confirm right you, if you remember alicia keys voice breaking and then you go go back and watch the video on YouTube. You're like, ah, oh, I could have sworn. Wow, my memory must really be faulty. And then we're told all this stuff quite correctly that our memory is faulty and we remember things wrong and all of that. And and then you talk to somebody else, like three months from now, somebody might talk to somebody else who didn't see the Super Bowl halftime show, right? But did watch it afterwards, but doesn't remember that. All they remember is they saw the Super Bowl halftime show, and they say, no, no, I watched it. I think I. I watched it live. Her voice didn't break. And another friend says, I watched it live and I, th I remember her voice did breaking, you know, and then you get this whole weird thing. Oh, parallel universes, right? You, you come from the universe where her voice did break. I come from the universe where her voice didn't break. And when uh, it's the simple solution is that uh, the simple explanation is that they simply edited it before they put it out. It it's interesting because I actually, when you started to talk about this, I, I had not read about this ahead of time, but when you started to talk about it, I was just sort of thinking, oh, cool. So her voice broke. That clearly indicates, A, she's human, yeah. <laughs> right? But B, um, it wasn't um, uh, lip syncing. Yeah. It was It was a real performance. And obviously, you know, these, these folks, these performers are always, always accused of uh, lip syncing, especially mm -hmm. in these kind of environments where it's very high profile, um, very difficult environment, mm. uh, you know, to get the, the sound right and get everything right, get the performance right. Um, but it's, you know, clearly leaving that in to me actually would have um, been a, a very valid choice just for that little break into honesty. Yeah. Clearly, this is a real, um, a real recording. And now, of course, they've, they've erased that. Bummer. Yeah, erase that. It makes you wonder what other things um what else do we have... think is true that isn't true yes exactly and and yeah and especially uh, people who are our age because we have you know the digital record is is not it's different right i we we live through a time that record keeping has changed drastically mm -hmm. when we were both young record keeping was on paper Right. And it made the transition to digital, but not, it wasn't a one day it was on paper, one day it was digital. It slowly got to be more and more digital, right? Records, text records went digital. And then there were recordings and then the recording, you know, you had uh, analog recordings of things and then you had um, digital recordings and the digital recordings got better and better. And it's so it's, it's, it's just really a strange time. Our memories you can if there have been plenty of times when I've tried to remember something from my childhood, like mm -hmm. for me it was the '80s, uh, and I've been able to find so little. Like I worked at a record store in the '80s, and I I just wanted to just see like what's the Wikipedia entry for that record store? No, there isn't any, right? There's not there's no Wikipedia entry for it, right. and it was like nine locations and no Wikipedia entry, searching through records, searching. I just wanted to find out like, what was the deal with that record store? Like, were they profitable? Did they, were they bought by somebody and they rolled into something, you know? And I can't find hardly anything except a couple old newspaper ads in some old scanned versions of newspapers that are online. Other than that, it looks like it didn't even exist. There, right? <laughs> hmm? Yeah, yeah, at least I know I was. <laughs> but it is weird to think that stuff today is so incredibly recorded, right? People are just taking pictures with their phones constantly. There was surveillance video of things constantly. There's record keeping that's digital record keeping 
uh, you know, think like to going going back and look at some uh, businesses books in the eighties. Probably you can't find those anywhere in, in digital records. They were probably still kept kept on paper. But then a business's books in the 90s, there's probably files sitting around, right, with tons of data. And today, oh, today, it's just like there'll probably be so much. There'll be all the emails sent by everybody in the company, you know, yeah. if you think about it. So it's it's kind of a weird time to be, uh, you know, a, a weird time span for us that are in our 50s and 60s to span you know, from very little record keeping and digital record of anything to uh, quite a lot. So you so. made me look, um, mm -hmm. I have memories of a record store, um, that we went to frequently, um, here in the university of Washington area and, uh, peaches, remember peaches, they were apparently I a nas national store. Well, actually <laughs> that was not the store I worked for. Figured, yeah, no, I figured just. I no. actually found a, a Peaches records and tapes entry in Wikipedia. Yeah, and here's the thing. My record store replaced it. So Peaches opened up at a strip mall a few blocks from my house when I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. By the time I got to be 16, huh? just before then, the Peaches closed down and it was replaced by a store called Sound Odyssey. So in other words, all the same fixtures, all that stuff. Right. So apparently Sound Odyssey bought out that location of Peaches. Huh. And then that's the store I worked for. Interesting. So it was, I was close to working. We, we're, it was close to being the same place. Yeah. Mm. That's very bizarre. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff up in the, uh, there was like kind of an attic, like above the ceiling tiles room. It was kind of you can get to with stairs uh, in the back, and there's a lot of junk up there, and there's a lot of peaches stuff still sitting around in that room. For the longest time, I had a couple of peaches crates for. Yeah, that was they were known for those crates. Absolutely, I think you could yeah. Buy okay. them. You we could buy them as like you know <laughs> stuff yeah. to hold your records. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's what we had up there was a bunch of old peaches crates uh, that were like broken, so they could sell and some signs and everything like that. It was it's interesting, but. You know, it's just it's just weird, and you know, uh, but you know, it kind of ties ties a little bit into the other thing I wanted to talk about, which was uh, about I, I saw this other article about a car, a driverless Waymo car, in San Francisco, that was destroyed by passersby. Yes, right. I saw that. So apparently, this it was there were no passengers in it, so there was nobody in the car. This car came down the road and people started beating up on it uh, and they lit it on fire, you know, and, and I saw the pictures, the, the, you know, the aftermath and it was like, yeah, obviously a few people really went to town on this thing. Yeah. There was not much left of the car. <laughs> now, yeah. And it really got me thinking. It's like, this reminds me of something that would have happened in a movie in the eighties. In the eighties, we had a bunch of movies that tried to predict the future. Right. One of them was Back to the Future 2. Right. Right. With the hoverboards, you know, and all these weird like wall uh, TVs that covered an entire wall, things like that. Um, another was Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were other ones thrown in there, like Fifth Element, stuff like that. Um, there were a lot, but there were a lot of movies that were like, here's like a crazy look at like what the future might be. And they really kind of set our minds to like, how how it will be to live in the future. Maybe not these exact things, but the general feeling. Right. And I've always felt that up to 2020, none of that had really happened. Like even things that got promised, like you know, driverless cars, we might be around the corner. You know, it's like, nah, I don't really buy that we're going to see those anytime soon. Um, but starting with 2020, um, maybe, maybe the pandemic kind of accelerated things, usually big world events like World War II really accelerate technology. Mm -hmm. Um, but since 2020, we've gotten, uh, you know, obviously like from this story, real driverless cars driving around cities, right. uh, large language model, artificial intelligence that you could converse with, uh, if sim something simple like zoom, but being able to video chat as like a normal thing that anybody would do, not just like a business thing. Right. Um, the the Vision Pro just right now, you know, strapping on some goggles like uh, shown in a lot of these movies uh, where you could actually see things. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, I really feel like all of a sudden we've got a bunch of things that start 
to make me feel like we moved into the future that I envisioned when I was a kid. And it really is from like 2020 to now, like there's been an acceleration of futuristic things in just four years. It's interesting because there's still some other, some more recent movies. I, you immediately reminded me of um, Westworld in the sense yes. that not the the premise of the movie, the whole Android type thing, yeah. but um, the uh, when you get into, I think, the second or third season, they're actually looking at the quote unquote real world outside of the Westworld area. Yeah. And there are some interesting things in that world, flying cars, driverless, literally driverless cars that, that look very, very similar to some of the at least concept cars we keep seeing now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's um, there's been a tremendous amount of progress in that. In that kind oh, of I, I could add drones to this, too. Absolutely. Remember, and, and Back to the Future 2, there was a news drone that was, I mean, can you imagine way back then they had a news drone that was taking footage mm -hmm. of events like like a reporter would right and that seemed really bizarre and it was kind of corny the way they did it but if you think about it uh, yeah we've got that <laughs> honestly i'm kind of surprised we don't have that more in the sense that there's definitely some awesome drone footage out there and yeah you're seeing a lot of it used now in tv shows and movies for some just awesome shots that you know they they did not buy a helicopter or rent a helicopter to make this mm -hmm. shot or they couldn't have rented a helicopter to make this shot um but uh, the, the part that I'm kind of surprised on now that you mention it is that reporters aren't using it more in real time. Yeah. But what I'm thinking of is, and this is just a completely manufactured scenario, but you, know, you show up at a house fire, okay? Mm -hmm. Release the drone and start taking some close-up photos of the house fire as it's yeah. going. Um, there are problems with that, but I'm surprised that it's not happening more, that, that um, uh, you know, news organizations aren't pushing that envelope a little further. Yeah, I think some of the regulations might be holding them back. Um, you know, it's like, oh, you're in a city and there's an, you're in an emergency situation. Don't fly a drone because it might get in the way of things. Mm -hmm. But then I'm surprised that news organizations aren't pushing back more, saying, right. look, hey, we totally understand. What we want is a licensing like arrangement here where somebody can get a license to fly a news drone. And right. If I can fly a helicopter over it, which I can, yeah. right, yeah. then let's make sure that I can fly a drone and then we'll start with those restrictions and move in, right? Yeah. How close, you know, a helicopter can't be, you know, I, I forget what it is, 500 feet or a thousand feet, but um, a drone theoretically could get lower and not be as much of a risk as a helicopter could be. Anyway, yeah, there's, there's lots of, of um, possibilities there. The thing that I find interesting is that um, we're kind of sort of, getting the flying cars we've been expecting for decades mm -hmm. in the form of what I guess I would refer to as passenger drones, because what they're doing is rather than having some um, magical anti-gravity scenario that all the sci-fi shows tend to uh, tend to uh, rely on, um, yeah. you've got a drone with like four or even more propellers uh, basically pushing you off the ground. And all of a sudden you've you, you've got a passenger and all of a sudden it's a flying car. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a, I, I, I don't know about if they're going to be widely adopted. Like who's going to getting in one of those. It's one thing to, I mean, if you have so many people reluctant to get into a, a car that doesn't have a driver, um, but getting into a drone where you're actually going to be above the ground. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a harder sell. Uh, but and Honestly, it has to show a lot more utility than it does right now, too, because the big, the limiting factor for um, most of those is the um, the battery. They just don't have the range that um, that I think they really need to be successful. The fact that um, you know I might be able to say fly into work, yeah, that's nice, but of course you have to have a place to park it and all that kind of stuff. You have to have a place to land it. Um, but if, for example, um, I could get into my flying car and fly down to Portland to visit Kay, you know, that's a yeah. you know, four hour drive, yeah, yeah. um, then that actually could be pretty compelling. So I think the, the risk reward ratio needs to be different. Um, and like I said, the technology still has a little bit of ways to go. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But it's uh, it's definitely uh, a good time to be doing a podcast about tech enthusiasm. There's a lot oh, there's... to be enthusiastic. 
lot to be enthusiastic about. There's an article I wrote. Um, I don't think it's published yet. I think it's coming up either this week or next, um, where I basically stand back and say, you know, we spend an awful lot of time complaining about technology. Mm. Um, you know, this is broken or that doesn't work the way it used to, or, you know, all the usual things that you and I hear pretty constantly. And it's really, really worth it to step back and not just to do what we've just been talking about, you know, take a look at all these new technologies and how they're coming and how mm -hmm. exciting they are, but just take a look at what's working, what oh, we've yeah. got in front of us. The stuff we are taking for granted every single day right now is just incredible. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the fact that we're doing this, the fact that, that <laughs> the fact that the operating systems work, they are so incredibly complicated and yet they keep working. Um, it's, it is amazing. And it's one of those things where I actually get to use the word awesome in its correct, um, usage, yeah. meaning awe inspiring. If you really think about it, the things that we have around us that we take for granted are truly awe inspiring. Oh yeah, indeed. Uh, my home is filled with little things I take for granted. And I really, really should think about those more. We all I, should... uh... Yep, I have exactly the same. Lots, so much. Um, okay, uh, let's see. What is cool this week? Yeah. So last week I complained about um, um, Discworld. Just mm. lost my cup of tea. <laughs> so yeah. I decided to try Ringworld, yeah. um, a Larry Niven series of books that I had also never read. Uh, it's 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 one of those classic um, sci-fi series that um, you know purists would insist on reading. Anyway, I have started the first book. I'm about halfway through and I'm actually enjoying it a fair amount more. Again, it's not quite exactly what I was expecting, but, uh, but it's entertaining. So given that I wanted that to kind of uh, counterbalance my cool it ain't review of a couple of weeks ago or last week, um, I at least wanted to produce this, you know, throw this one a different world rings instead of discs and um, it's turning out to be better. The TV series that we've been watching recently, and I think it actually, there's one episode left, and I think it comes out in a couple of weeks. It's on um, Max, is True Detective Night Country. It's a Jodie Foster is the uh, uh, primary, and it is a very spooky Alaska murder mystery. Um, they are, It all takes place um, during the night. They actually position this specifically as happening uh, you know, at, at some point when you're above the Arctic Circle, the sun sets and then several days later it comes up again. So they're actually timing this, you know, it's the eighth day of night, it's the ninth day of night, that kind of thing. And it's actually pretty engaging. Um, mm. It is, I will say that it is a little on the violent side. Um, it's not the kind of a thing you want to, to share with your kids. But um, I'm just finding it an interesting murder mystery. It's it's what's interesting about it. I suspect is not just Jodie Foster, um, who I've always loved, but um, it's it's unique. It's something different in the murder mystery realm, and that I, I find intriguing. Yep, it's all my list too. Uh, when you finish Ringworld, by the way, you've got to complete the the '70s uh, world uh, trilogy series things. Uh, you got to do Homeworld by Harry Harrison uh, trilogy. And then you got to do um, uh, Well World by Jack Chalker. <laughs> the Well World I've certainly not done. Um, I've read a lot of Harry Harrison, so I'll have yeah, to. Home uh... World's, Home World's a good series. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed that. So, yeah, but it's funny how back then it was, there was a lot of these sci-fi authors, big names, and they would just create these worlds. Yeah. Put Harrison... Get a word, stick, uh, put, it, put world after it, yeah. and then start <laughs> writing books. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to remember. Harrison did a series on uh, an individual. I'm gonna have to look it Stainless up. Stainless Steel Rat. That one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Stainless Steel Rat. We we devoured those. Oh yeah, um, they're they're, they're great. I'm a big Harry Harrison fan. I've read most of his stuff. So cool. Good work. Uh, good stuff. Um, let's see. Uh, for my any cool. Oh, so have you ever watched the American TV show Ghosts? No. Okay. So. Uh, it's good. You should watch it. Uh, the third season's about to begin, but it's based on a UK series called Ghosts, mm -hmm. which has been now released in the United States, or at least the first couple seasons have, as Ghost UK, right? It's the original. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and it is a great, it's a delightful British, uh, you know, comedy series. Uh, basically, the idea is a couple inherits a old uh, manor out the English countryside. And um, and after an accident, the the woman can see ghosts as, you know, it's a trope. And it turns out the house is very haunted. Um, but the ghosts are, have been there for a long time and right. they're, they've been used to hanging out and they, you know, and suddenly now there's somebody who's living that could see them. And the ghosts have this whole rapport with each other. They've been living there and friends for, for decades and centuries in some cases. And so all the ghosts are all these different characters with these different backstories. And now they can converse with the living through this woman. Uh, and they, they're trying to run a bed and breakfast at the same time. And there's a lot of comedy and it's a lot of uh, good characters to, you know, that you start to care about, things like that. So that series, the UK series, has wrapped up. It's as you as series in the UK do, it's like six episodes a season and there's five seasons, makes it a huge success, like, you know, long lived thing. Um, there's already probably been more episodes of the American Ghost in just two seasons than there were of the British one. But uh, I recommend both. But in particular, um, I think Paramount Plus, uh, which is airing the American Ghosts, uh, or at least the streaming version. I think it's also on regular TV. Um, they picked up at least the first couple seasons of the UK Ghosts. And then you could find the other seasons in various places. Um, so it's I'm a good show. I'm going to take my nope back because now that you described what it is, mm -hmm. um, we watched, I think, the first episode or two of the U.S. version. Oh, uh, yeah. And it just didn't do it for us. No? So okay. We'll have to see. The the British, we seem to be more drawn to a lot of British humor these days. Okay. So I'm going to have to, have to pick that up and see if um, see if that's a, uh, a better fit for us. Cool. All right. Uh, blatant. Blatant self-promotion. So, uh, again as you probably experience as well, hmm. we hear from a lot of people who are absolutely convinced that um, there are massive conspiracies in big tech to hmm. basically force people to do things. Yeah. Um, the classic case on the Windows side is that um, Windows 11's new hardware requirements are a conspiracy between Microsoft and hardware manufacturers to sell more computers. Hmm. The, um, uh, you know, the fact that OneDrive is being rammed down our throat in the Windows world is a conspiracy by Microsoft to force people to purchase more OneDrive space, because hmm. that is, in fact, the simplest solution, so that Microsoft can then examine all of the data that we upload to OneDrive. Mm. Um, needless to say, I don't believe in any of that. Uh, I understand how people can get frustrated by what's happening in technology. I'm a firm believer in two very important razors, Hanlon's and um, Occam's. Occam's, the simplest solution is usually the right mm -hmm. one. Yeah. And um, Hanlon's is, you know, never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by stupidity. Mm -hmm. And as we also know, there is no shortage of stupidity um, and incompetence and whatnot um, in the industry. So anyway, the article that I'm going to point you at is why I don't believe in conspiracies. It's askleo.com slash 167655. And I go into that in more detail. And of course, I have already been called naive by at least one of my readers. Oh, sure, so sure. yeah, <laughs> we knew that one going in. Yeah, it's the same thing in the Apple world. I mean, the two main conspiracies are forced obsolescence, which is basically right. what you were talking about. Um, and and that, you know, Apple, uh, all this is just to get you to buy more iCloud storage, you know, yep. that kind of thing. The um, And I'm grateful, uh, as I'm sure you are, that we both know software development and have an understanding of what the kind of like, you know, the normal reasons why this, you know, why Microsoft and Apple can't support hardware that's decades old and um, why they push things forward and all of this. And, and it, yeah, it helps us to understand and helps us to explain to others. Um, for, let's say for mine, uh, you, uh, you know, the most common thing people do with computers is take notes. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> but, but you kind of bought it, right? I mean, so it's reasonable. <laughs> it's a reasonable assumption. Uh, 
<laughs> so my my video is 10 different ways to take notes on your Mac uh, because I often find that somebody will go and say, I love and I take notes on my Mac all the time and I do it this way. And I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. I don't do it that way at all. And then somebody else says, oh, I use this app to take notes. And I'm like, why are you using that app to take notes? There's a nap called notes. And, you know, but so looking at all of these different ways that people can take notes and what makes them different and maybe more useful to some people than others uh, is uh, the subject of one of my videos. Well, I have to ask, um, do you cover Evernote? No, no. So I'm looking at just the stuff you get with your Mac. Oh, just the Apple ecosystem. Okay. Yeah. So I come up with 10 ways. Wow. Okay. Jet, like out of the box that okay. you could take notes on your Mac and that people, not you could, but that I definitely know that people do take notes on their Mac. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I was going to say, I used to use Evernote, but they've basically fallen by the wayside for a number of reasons. I've actually switched to a note-taking app called Obsidian, mostly because um, the problem with a Mac-only solution is that it's Mac-only, right? I mean, it's, it's you know, those most of those things you've got are probably um, specific to the Mac and not very useful if you're on Windows. Um, Obsidian's on all the platforms, and it is a... Uh, uh, the thing that I really appreciate about it is it is not a proprietary file format. Um, mm. They save everything in uh, Markdown so that even oh. if Obsidian goes away completely, I've still got all these text files with all my notes. So it's actually very cool, very cool. Nice. Anyway, yeah. I think I think that should wrap us up for another week. Yep. As always, we thank you very much for listening, and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com, TEH215. If you have a comment or question for us, be sure to leave it on the show notes page. The TEH Podcast is hosted by Leo Notenboom of askleo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com and edited by Connie Delaney. I'm your synthetic announcer, Adam, from 11labs.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here real soon. Thank you.